James chapter 2, go there if you're not there already. James 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of, nope, the glory, yep, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes become, oh my goodness, comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the other man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen! My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the king nope in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich and the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you uh, yeah. Or, sorry, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? All right, that's where we'll stop. Hmm? All right, is that not 13? Oh, crap, we have, I'm sorry. We have more. I'm scattered right now, yo, for reals, for reals. I don't need to think. No, it's good. No, it is. She, thank you. I got it. We're good. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I wasn't really trying to think of stuff to say during that. I just legitimately can't read right now. That's just how it is. All right, so partiality. What is partiality? Really, I'm asking because I don't have my notes. <laughs> Partial's in the word. That's good. Yeah, exactly. That was in my notes. I remember that. Sure, it's basically showing favoritism over one person over another. All right? So the passage talks about two different types of people just in this context. Talks about this guy having this dinner or whatever, this party or an assembly, whatever that translates to. And they have a, a guy coming in, a rich guy, who's wearing a gold ring and he has fine clothing. So he has the appearance of riches and he comes in. And to this guy, the, the dude, the host is like, dude, you can sit right here at the head of the table. You can be right next to me. We can be bros. And then... A poor guy comes in who's not wearing a gold ring. Who does it describe his clothing at all? Shabby. He's wearing shabby clothing. So this dude walks in wearing shabby clothing, and the host sees it and then says, Hey, why don't you go sit over there? 
in a corner. Or maybe if there's no chairs left, you can sit here at my feet. So this guy is showing us what partiality looks like. Right? He's showing us what favoritism looks like. He was honoring the rich dude over the poor dude because of his riches. So basically, he was judging this guy based on appearances. Okay? And that is not a good thing. That's not what we're going for. Um, and then it talks a little bit about um, kind of the irony here in verse, what is that, like six or so? Six and seven? Where it talks about how, you know, what, kind of why are you honoring these rich dudes when those are the guys who, who stab you in the back, when those are the guys who oppress you, when they're the ones that drag you into court, and aren't they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name? Now that's kind of a maybe a generalization of, of rich people, because maybe not all rich people do those things, but there's a level of greed that comes with that a lot of times, which is why the Bible talks a lot about um, rich people and how difficult it is for rich people to enter heaven, right? Because there's greed there, and greed is, is basically idling, that's not the right word, um, making money in idol, right? And anything that's an idol is over Jesus, and that's obviously uh, sinful and a bad thing. So, um, what's my train of thought? So these people, there's kind of an irony here that these are the people who maybe we shouldn't be honoring because maybe they're the ones who don't always do the best things. Um, but we do because through our eyes, we look at rich people or people in the, in the upper class for whatever reason, and we give them a little bit more honor sometimes because we feel like they deserve it. But oftentimes, uh, most of the time, they don't. And then it talks about um, partiality being a sin. Right, the, the heading says the sin of partiality. So the first half of what we read talked about partiality and what it is, and then the second half kind of establishes it as a sin. And that's important. Um, so I think a lot of times we can kind of be confused, like maybe there's this gray area of what's sinful and what isn't sinful. So it lays it out very clearly that partiality, that showing favoritism, is a sin. Now, in and of itself, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, does it? like just showing favoritism, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, I do that with my kids all the time. Uh, Gabe is my favorite. I'm just kidding. Avery is. Um, <laughs> they won't listen to this either. Um, but, but that in and of itself, just showing favoritism, we see it where it may not seem like a big deal. Um, we see that it is sinful because, in fact, what we're doing is that we are judging. Where is that? It says something about judging and evil person who finds it gets a dollar. There it is. I get a dollar. Uh, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right? So we're judging them based on our own sinful, evil thoughts, um, based on what they look like or how much money they have or, or stupid things like that that really don't matter because God doesn't look at the outside, right? God looks at the hearts, and that's how he judges us. Thank goodness. So then to go back to this, um, verse 8 to the end of the, what we read talked about, um, kind of set it up as, as why it is a sin. Right? It kind of says that um, for he who said do not commit adultery, he also said do not murder. So basically what it's saying is they, they took two really big sins and basically say that regardless of whether you do one or the other, um, you've sinned. Right? You are a transgressor. You, you are deserving of hell. Now, they use two big ones, murder and adultery, kind of in our minds, but it could be anything. It could be lying. It could be gossiping. It could be 
stealing. It could be partiality. Whether you've um, shown favoritism or killed a dude really doesn't matter. I mean, on earth, that's going to make your life a lot worse on earth if you kill a dude. Um, but in terms of eternity, if you've shown favoritism, if you've lied, it doesn't matter. If, if you've killed somebody, if you've cheated on your wife it, it, or husband, it, it doesn't matter because as long as you've done one thing once, you deserve hell because that standard to get in heaven is so high. It is sinlessness or being covered so that we appear sinless, so that we appear righteous, and that's what Jesus did. Um, so unless we meet that, we, we deserve hell. Um, so regardless of what the sin is, um, we deserve uh, judgment for that. Any other thoughts on that? I thought that was pretty decent. We good? Okay, we'll move on to the next part. The next part should be good. In fact, you should come to church Sunday um, because this is a good chunk of what I'm preaching on Sunday. And it's going to be dope. And I didn't plan this ahead of time. It just kind of worked out that way, so I thought that was kind of cool. So we'll take 14 to the end of the chapter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What, is, what are works? Deeds. Stuff you do. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith apart from works is, uh, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with the works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Oh, excuse me. Um, let me just start by saying this is, this is a doozy. This is a big one. This be, should be a part of our definition of our faith, of our Christianity. Because I think for a lot of people, it's just faith, you know? Like, I think there's a lot of people, and I think if you surveyed the country of America, which has had been done before, I think a lot of people believe in God. A lot of people do, um, but yet their, their level of commitment, their works would not necessarily match up with that. There's a disconnect, and what we're seeing here is that what it says in the heading, that faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. It says right in the first verse, yeah, it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. So what it's saying is that if you have faith and no works, your deeds don't match up with your faith, then that faith is useless. You hear me? 
Yeah? Now let me say this. Your, your works in and of themselves will not save you. Okay? Your good deeds will not get you into heaven. And that's been a big issue for a lot of different Christians through time. People think that we can earn heaven. I think we want to think that we can. We want to have some control of that, don't we? I want to be able to know that I can do these things, and if I do them, then I'm good to go. But that's not how it is. Our, our, our deeds, the things that we do, they cannot save us, will not get us into heaven. The only way we get to heaven is by merely accepting the free gift that Jesus has given us. If he's sacrificing his life and taking this, our sins upon him and dying so that we could be covered so that we could be righteous in the eyes of God. That is the only way we can get to heaven, is just by merely accepting that gift. And if you think of it, that's not really doing anything, because if, if grandma, whatever, comes up to you on your birthday and gives you a gift, you're going to take it, right? So that's not, it's not awesome for that person to accept that gift. It's not them really doing anything. They're just accepting a gift given to them. It's the same way for us. So we can't count any... Uh, we can't take any responsibility or any credit for that because we've done nothing. All we do is accept this amazing free gift. So we can in no way earn our salvation. We can't do good into heaven. Does that make sense? That being said, there should be some actions that come along with our faith, right? Because think of the faith that we have. Um, think of, of God. Think of Old Testament stuff and, and how many times God was faithful to his people and how many times he, he brought, drew his people back to him. Yeah, he wiped out creation once because they were all idiots, but he brought them back. And time after time, the Israelites would leave him. And they, my goodness, I always think of the story of Moses and God bringing the people out of Egypt, from out of slavery. They've been in slavery for, for so many years. And God brought them out of slavery, which you think would be a dope thing to do, but they complained the entire time. And there's one point where Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, no big deal. And then the people started, they made an, a, a false altar, a, a, not an altar, an idol, a god, a, a gold calf. And time after time, these people just messed up. Time after time, we mess up. But yet God just keeps bringing us back to him. He keeps drawing us back to him. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is, is his his ultimate act of bringing us to him. All we, people, all we have to do is accept that gift. We have to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and that he rose again, and accept that. And then we have to commit our lives to him and live for him. Good grief. That's it. And the faith, that's the faith that we have the, uh, of who God is and, and who Jesus is and all that Jesus did. So knowing all of that should change us, right? I mean, that's why the Bible says that, that once we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, right? That, that there should be a very real transformation that happens in you after you come to know Jesus and to commit your life to him. If, if you say you're a Christian, but yet you were the exact same the day before, there's something wrong with your faith. Because we have faith that, of, in a God who is all-powerful, who is the creator of the universe, who loves us so intensely. Is intensely a word? I feel like it is, but it sounds weird when I say it. And he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Like Christian said in his beautiful prayer, he, God, 
God came down to earth and died for us so that we could join him. Why would he want us to join him, first of all? We're messed up and we keep hurting him time after time when we sin. But he did all this for us. And this is the faith that we have. And this faith should motivate us to action. That is the point. That's why faith without works is dead. Because if your faith does not spur you to action, then your faith is worthless. Your faith is fake and it's bogus. Hmm. I'll preach all day long. Good grief. And then it tells us, kind of puts us in this little scenario to make it a little more uh, easier for us to understand. Where it talks about um, us encountering a person um, who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And it would be like if you were to go up to this person, you're like, hey, I see that you are in need, that you need food, that you're hungry. Um, but, you know, go in peace, keep warm, be filled. Now, what is that? That person should deck you in the mouth. Because that's stupid. Um, <laughs> right? But that's kind of the same thing. It's like if, if we're going to claim this faith but yet live in a manner where it is not evident, then that is worthless. It's pointless if our, if our faith does not have works that come along with it. All right, let's see what else it says. Oh, yeah, okay, so this is cool. It talks about the demons, which I think is really dope. It says, even the demons, demons believe in shudder. And I think this is kind of interesting. I think this is a good, like, it's almost like, a, like a, a Chuck Norris roundhouse kick right to the face a little bit. Um, because it's calling out all those people who have faith but don't have the deeds to match up, that aren't living it, that, that for whatever reason just aren't committing to the process. And maybe there's some people in here tonight who, who are that way. Hopefully not. Um, but basically what he's saying is, look, you believe in God, awesome. The demons do that. Not only do they do that, but they shudder because they know the reality of God and who God is. It's so cool, man. If you read the gospel, you see Jesus going up and casting demons out of people. And these demons are calling Jesus out as a son of God long before people are. Long before Jesus, it even seems, wants that to get out. A lot of times he kind of tells the demons, he's like, hey, keep it quiet. I don't want people to know that yet. But these, peop these demons, these people are demon-possessed. The demons are calling them out. Hey, he's like, hey, shoot, you're the son of God. We're in trouble. All right, so these demons know who Jesus is. They know who God is. They have faith in him just like we do, and they shudder. But what's the difference between us and demons? Yeah. Make that connection real fast. What's the difference between you and a demon? <laughs> well, not necessarily. There might be one right behind you. I don't know. Don't look, though. Don't look at it. The difference should be what we do. So you have faith that God is real. Congratulations. So do demons. But what are your works like? What are your actions? What are you doing to back that faith up? Or what are you doing out of that faith? That's what the important part is. And then it talks about a couple of examples of um, some people who had faith in actions. It talks about Abraham. Abraham is the, the father of God's people. He's the father of the Israelites. He, um, so just to make this really quick, Abraham was, was an old dude. And his wife was barren. 
and she was old too. So they didn't have any kids. And then God came to him and, and told him, hey, Abraham, you're going to be the father of, of so many people. He's like, look at the stars, count the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. Um, and I'm sure in that moment, Abraham's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't have any kids now, and I'm like 180. How's that going to work? Um, the God's like, don't worry about it. You'll have a kid. And then I think it's like a year or two goes by, and, and finally um, his wife, Sarah, has a child in her old age, even without being able to produce children, um, she produced a child. Uh, Isaac was his name. So that's cool, and that happened. And then God's like, hey, Abraham. So Isaac grows up a little bit. Um, I've heard some different ages. Well, just for our sake for today, imagine he's like 16 or 17. Um, and God's like, hey, Abraham, you know your only son? Uh, can you sacrifice him to me real fast? Um, and Abraham, <laughs> maybe he doesn't quite sound like that. He's probably a little more authoritative. Um, and Abraham's like, sure. You know, whatever. Maybe not quite like that. Um, but he does it. I mean, he packs up stuff. He, he tells Isaac, hey, we're going to go do some sacrificing. Didn't say what. Um, but kind of packed up his stuff on the donkey, and they head up to, to the mountain. They get up there. They make, um, they make an altar. Isaac's at one point is like, hey, shouldn't we, don't we need like, some animal? And then uh, Abraham's like, don't worry, God will provide our sacrificial lamb. Maybe at that point, Isaac's like trying to figure it out. And he's like, oh, that's a bummer. Um, but then he goes through with it. And Isaac is there, and he's laying on top of this altar. And, and Abraham's about to, to do it. And then God stops him. And all is right in the world. And he goes on and he becomes the father of, of the Israelites. Um, not that he wouldn't have necessarily anyways. And I think that's the point is that Abraham had faith in God. Right? Abraham saw, um, saw that he had a child in old age when his wife was unable to physically. I see it. Thank you. Um, and he had a child. So I think in that moment, God had, or Abraham had faith in God that regardless of whether it was through Isaac or, or however else he was going to take care of it, God was going to take care of the situation. And he had faith in God that regardless of what happened, God had his back. And he let his actions do the talking for him. He took his son up and was going to kill him, but then was stopped. Yeah? Test his faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was just simply a test of faith, and he passed. And then it talks about Rahab, which is maybe a little lesser-known story in the Bible. Who knows about Rahab? One, two, three, okay. Do you, Dana? <laughs> I was just testing you, because then you're going to learn today. Rahab was a prostitute, um, and she lived in this town... Uh, called Jericho. Um, so what happened, Moses died, um, this guy Joshua was put in charge, and they were going to take over their promised land. God was going to deliver that two of them. Um, so Jericho was next, and um, Joshua sent a couple spies into Jericho to just to check it out, see what's going on. Um, and they were in Rahab's house. It kind of seems like, through what I saw, that Rahab's house was kind of like a part of the wall, um, so it was like the closest thing for them to go to. So they were hiding out in there. 
And the, the king of Jericho came up to Rahab and was like, hey, we know there's some dudes here who shouldn't be here. Have you seen them? And Rahab's like, yeah, um, but they left. Really early this morning, they left, and they went that away. Um, and she went back, and she told the spies that what had happened, and that um, she sent the soldiers that way. And, and in that conversation, you see Rahab's faith in God, uh, even as a person of Jericho, and maybe not even necessarily uh, um, an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. She had faith in God because she knew all about what, what God did through Moses and bringing the people out of Egypt. She saw what God has done taking out these massive people groups and nations already for the people of Israel. Um, and she knew what was going to go down and that there wasn't much she could do about it. So she had faith in God. And then she acted on that faith by sending the spies the other direction um, to safety. So we see through these two examples, um, the people and their faith in God uh, but not just that, their, their faith led them to action. Abraham, um, his faith led him to, to almost kill his only son. And Rahab um, really sacrificed herself and put herself in, in the line of, of whatever that phrase would be. Um, really sacrificed her safety um, by helping those spies who came to check out their land and eventually um, led to the fall of Jericho. So their, or their, their actions were matched by their faith. Their faith led them to act. And that's the whole point of this. And the last line says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I don't know if this is exactly what it's talking about. When I read that, I just kind of thought of, I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. I'm sorry. I know. I don't have a man card. If I did, I'd give it to you. Um, I lost it a long time ago. But I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. And sometimes what happens in those shows is like people will be, will be brain dead, right? Where their, their body will kind of, will be alive but their, their brain will be dead. So basically, that just means they're dead, but their body's alive. It's a really weird thing. And, and sometimes they do come out of that, but a lot of times they don't, especially in Grey's Anatomy. They almost never come out of it, which is a real bummer. I wish they would sometimes. Um, but I kind of get this vision, like, like to have faith apart from works is, is almost like, like a body being alive without the brain. I mean, it's dead. The body's there, the faith is there, but it's still dead. There's, it's not producing anything. It's not doing anything. It's, it's really not even alive. That's the same thing with our faith and the connection to our works and what we do. If we have faith, but we're not doing anything about it, then it's useless. It's not going to save us. It's not going to do anything for us. It is utterly pointless. So the challenge here is, is if you claim to have faith, first of all, if you don't have faith, you should, man. You should commit your life to Jesus stat because it's the best thing you can do, and it will pay off in eternity. Um, but not only that, but to commit your life to actually following Jesus. And that's what we're seeing here is a commitment to follow Jesus in what we do. Um, to live dead. That's a little plug for our Sunday series. Um, not just to kind of go through the motions, but to actually live out our faith. Um, so if you're in here and you claim to have faith, but maybe your actions don't match um, let this be a challenge to you. Because if, if, if you have faith, but you're not living it, then, I mean, it's pretty simple. It says that faith won't save us, that we are dead without our works, without our deeds matching up our faith. Cool? Great. That's it. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so grateful for you and all that you've done. I'm just so grateful for these students. I, I really am. Like, I'm not saying that because I get paid a lot of money to say that. Um, 
I'm really thankful for them, and I care about them, and I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them in a ridiculous way. I pray that you, when they encounter tough times, that you would comfort them, um, and I pray there that they would have the faith in you to trust you through those times and to not fall away. God, I thank you for what we read today out of, out of your word and the thoughts on favoritism and partiality and, and how messed up that is, or how we're called to love our neighbor. And loving our neighbor is not looking at one person differently than another. It's, it's love. Love is love, and everyone's our neighbor. So help us to love our neighbors. Lord, I pray for um, just our, our discussion on, on faith being dead without works. That's a real thing, and there's a lot of people um, all around us who have faith but don't have works, and because of that, are missing the mark. How we don't want to be people who are missing the mark. I pray you would challenge us in that. I pray you would give us opportunities to show our faith, to reveal our faith to the people around us. Lord, that it would be so noticeable what we believe in our faith in you because it would just be oozing out of us love and compassion and mercy. It would just be flowing out of us that people could tell right away there's something different. There's something different about that person. God, that's a prayer for my life, and I pray that for each and everyone uh, in here that they would strive to be that person, that you would just be flowing out of us, Lord. And we just pray uh, that you would go with us with this next week or so until you bring us back together, that you just keep everyone safe, that you would uh, equip people for what you want to do in their lives this week, that you would give uh, strength and comfort when necessary. God, but more importantly, that you would stretch us, Lord, that our faith would grow stronger. Or that our relationship with you would go stronger. In your name we pray. Amen.